Looking at the MVP race, we played against Paul George the other night. We've played against James Harden. James Harden, by the way, has scored 30 plus points in 30 straight games. Russell Westbrook has also broken the triple-double record for most consecutive triple-doubles at 10. And you got Giannis, who's playing outside of his mind as well. It's essentially a three-man race. Looking at the trade scenario situation one, you could look at it as a team values my skill set and what I have to offer. And then the second part is you can be confused as to why they don't want you. You know, was I contributing the way I should? Could I have done something better? You start to question yourself, perhaps. It's funny because the expectations at the beginning of the season are never high. We've kind of overachieved based on the media's predictions of the success we'll have as a team. So I think it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. You know, playing out here, being 9, 10, 11 games over 500. We're on good pace, you know, to potentially get a home court advantage in the playoffs again and accomplish a lot of things. Welcome to the Bill Russell episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 45. However, we honor Bill Russell today as he turns 85. One of the greatest players to ever play the game. A pioneer, a legend. Bill Russell, thanks for all you've done to the game and how you've continued to change and make sacrifices for us that allow us to play at an elite level while getting paid handsomely. We do appreciate it. Currently recording in Portland, Oregon. Uh, just got back from a two-game road trip back-to-back where we end up dropping a game to the Dallas Mavericks, and then the next night we dropped a game to the Oklahoma City Thunder where Paul George went off for about 47 points, 12 rebounds, and 10 assists. Uh, He's playing at an MVP caliber level. Uh, There's a lot of talk about who should win MVP this season, whether it's Giannis, James, or PG. We will definitely get into that uh, a little bit later on the pull-up pod. But before we do that, I want to welcome Jordan Schultz, to the pull-up pod, as always, and congrats on the boardroom launch as well. Looks like everything turned out right in the first few episodes. I appreciate you, bro. Yeah, we. Uh, you never really know what to expect, but I felt like it turned out great, and you know, it it just feels cool to to be in the mix of uh, of the NBA with you. I mean, I you know, I, I never I'm never gonna play in the NBA, but as Don C said, how can I participate? And this is my way of participating. Uh, sneaker culture, ownership. I know you're in one of the episodes that has not dropped yet. Can't wait to see that. And, um, you know, I give a, a ton of credit to Rich Kleiman. He really made all this happen. And it's not easy to organize a show like that and have all those moving parts. But I uh, felt like it turned out really well. Yeah, I thought it was some great content. ESPN and some of those other major outlets picked up uh, some of the quotes. And one of the one of the best parts I've seen on the uh, first episode with PJ Tucker is about how he spent over thirty thousand on a shoe collection. Oh yeah, uh, on a single single purchase, which is insane to think about. Those were the KDs. He that was the funny part about it. He was saying how like he bought KD Sonic colors, and it was like a KD sp- spree for twenty nine grand, which I thought was pretty funny. That is ridiculously crazy but just kind of shows you how serious um he takes his shoe collection to be able to spend 30 grand on a on a on a single series and collections of of items is just insane that begs the question because he actually spent 50 but that one was for charity so non-charity aside what's the most you've ever spent on a sneaker maybe 1500 that's pretty good but not on like i'm talking about like dress shoes or those types of shoes like custom dress shoes or Red bottom, something like that. Right, you're talking about like a beautiful loafer or something. Right, loafers, like spiked out loafers or something like that, where that's like 800, 900. But to get into the, that's even, that's really aggressive on my part to to buy a pair of shoes like that, which is only worn on special occasions, not even like an everyday shoe. 
But for him to buy that many Kevin Durant pairs of shoes, but probably hasn't even worn any of them yet and probably just only collecting them and may bust out a pair or two just kind of shows you his de- his dedication and how serious he is about his collection. Well, he is the sneaker king, the unofficial but official NBA sneaker king for a reason. Shout out to PJ Tucker because you got to have a lot of passion for something to spend that kind of money on it. Absolutely. That's, that's impressive. And speaking of impressive, uh, we, we talked about it offline a little bit. The trade deadline has obviously passed us. And uh, one of the conversations was about how do you deal with being on the trade block not getting traded and then having to go back to work the next day. Um, I'll pose the question to you first, and then you can pose it to me. Uh, Because a lot of people don't understand uh, what it's like to be a professional athlete and have to go through these types of things to where your worth is continuously debated. We talked about it a little bit last week with Draymond, where people continuously debate what you are worth, what they would trade you for, and then to actually be thrown into a trade that doesn't doesn't, uh, end up happening and, and, and doesn't fall through. There has to be some tension there and a little bit of awkward feeling. So I pose the question to you. Imagine now you're working for ESPN and there's rumors about you being traded to a competitor and they're comparing you to other broadcast journalists, other other journalists, and ESPN's trying to trade you, but the other outlet doesn't agree to the trade and you have to go back to work the next day. How would you feel? You know, I, I can't even begin to imagine. I think I would feel betrayed though, especially if a lot of this is backroom dealings where you don't really know what's going on. And, you know, like you, I have an agent and, you know, you you start to understand the process of this is a business, but in our business and in the media or journalism business, uh, you can't get traded, you get fired, but you can't get traded. So if you, if you got traded as a media member or you were, you you found out you were potentially going to be traded, somebody wanted to deal you away for something else, it would be really hard to go back into work because, it's like you don't really know what was the, the reason why you weren't. What was the reason why they wanted to get rid of you in the first place? Was it financial? Was it because someone's better than you? Was it because someone uh, has more upside? Like, I, you know, I'm, it's just a really odd dynamic. And, you know, it's not like, as our producer Matt was saying before the show, it's not like I go into work every day and I think, um, well, I could be traded today. I could be moved across the country. I could have to move my family and sell my house. I mean, these are real-world problems that apply specifically to professional athletes, and um, I'll pose it to you. Do you feel like it's – or has it been normalized for you to a degree, or are you still dealing with it you know, differently every year because it is such an intense process? I think it's been normalized just because of how fast you've seen turnover. Uh, at first, you hear stories about it, and you kind of prepare yourself mentally because – you never know if it's going to be you. You never know if it's going to be one of your teammates. And then you go through a, a season or two to where there's rumors. And then one day you walk in and two teammates get traded the last day of the deadline. Or you come into practice and practice is normally scheduled for 11 o'clock. And they move practice back to noon, which means that something may happen. And they want to just kind of make sure everything's in place before we go to practice. So having seen that, having seen teammates leave even looking at this past trade deadline, Nick Stauskas and Wade get traded. And then with 20 minutes left before the deadline ends, uh, Caleb Swanigan gets traded to Sacramento for Scow. And that was at like 11.45 the trade went through. 11.40, 11.45. I got, I got out of the steam room and they were like, yo, Biggie just got traded. And I'm like, get out of here. Like, stop playing. It's like, no, seriously, right before 12, he got traded. So just to kind of see those things happen, it becomes a normal part of life because – you get to the arena that night and the name tags are already gone. 
the boxes have been packed up, the bags have been packed up, and they're just getting the next jersey ready for the guy who's been traded in. And the guy who was on your team once before has been moved across the country and has to kind of figure out his life again. So it's sad to sad part of the business, man, but it's a part that you have to kind of grow to understand and be comfortable with being uncomfortable because it is an uncomfortable time. And as you've seen on TV with some of the rumors for some of those big market teams, it's it's an interesting position to be in when you have young players who are being mentioned in trades and then the trade doesn't go through. And then a lot of different things happen. And then an owner or, or someone from management has to kind of step in and, and kind of talk to the team and basically explain some of the things that happened. And you never know how people are going to handle it. It's hard for a grown-up to handle it, you know, a 30-, 40-year-old, let alone a, a 20-year-old. So I can only imagine what it's like to go through that and having seen some of my teammates get traded. It is, it's something that you can't really prepare for. Mentally, you try to prepare for it, but once it happens, it's, it just kind of changes everything. So, like, do you go up to, those, to these guys when they're being traded or right, right before they're about to leave and just say, hey, you know, if you ever need anything? Like, what's that process when you're actually saying goodbye to essentially a coworker? It's tough. It depends on how close you are with them, but usually you don't really have time. Uh, Nick right. Nick and Way got traded right after practice. We actually had to end practice early. You know, I haven't talked to some of the staff. They didn't even know what was going on. And we had a scrimmage left uh, on the practice sheet, and they kind of just crossed it out and told everybody to bring it in. And then uh, Neil came out on the court, and that's when, you know, they found out they were being traded, and Coach kind of brought it in and said that Neil uh, – just basically told him that a trade has been confirmed and gone through. Uh, Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin, along with, a, I think, a second-round pick, a future second-round pick for Rodney Hood. We found out. We were literally shooting after practice. Nick Stauskas kind of walked up to us and was like, hey, man, I appreciate everything you guys have done. Good luck in the playoffs. And just kind of dabbed us up and went around and, and said said hello and goodbye to everybody on staff, all the players. And then I haven't, I haven't seen Nick since since that moment. Wow. Wade Baldwin was in the locker room when I was leaving. I walked in. I was like, do your thing, man. Good luck with everything. Diped him up. I haven't seen Wade Baldwin since that moment. And I text him just because of the situation with him and Nick. They were traded two or three more times that same week and waved. And Nick actually just signed with the Cavs two nights ago and played with the Cavs last night, whereas Wade still hasn't signed anywhere yet. So I just kind of texted him and told him to keep yeah. his head up, man, and that you know, it's a sick, sick part of the business that only the strong survive. And uh, he was like, "I got you." But that's the wow. That's the nature of the business. And haven't seen T. Rob. All those guys get traded. It's just, it just brings back flashbacks. What's crazy is like someone like Wade is twenty two. When he was drafted, people were saying this guy is the next Russell Westbrook. Like that was a comparison. Now he gets traded three times in a week, and it just. There's so much vulnerability to this league, uh, you know, especially with young players who um, haven't had their opportunity to shine or haven't, you know, lived up to the billing that someone might have put on them. And, and I've I've talked to Wade a little bit, and um, you know, it's just it's baffling. Like I was talking to him when he was in Houston, and then the next day he gets traded to Indiana, he gets waived, and it's just it's a it's a crazy process. And um, I wonder for someone like. You know, on a bigger scale, like Lonzo or Brandon Ingram or Kuzma, guys that have been rumored um, in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes, CJ, do you think because um, because it's such a big name potentially in return with Anthony Davis, like does that make it easier if you're if you know you could be traded because at least the the hall you know back is so big, or does it not matter? Does it not make a difference where you're going or who's who's getting traded for you? I think it all makes a difference 
because the, of the mentality. You know, a team drafts you, which means that they find you valuable. They feel like you're an asset and one that can improve their team. Then you get a situation where an Anthony Davis comes along to where he where he requests a trade, and all of a sudden your name is being mentioned in, in trades. And then ESPN's confirming that your name was mentioned in trades, and then Woj confirms it, which even which makes it even more true. So you have to kind of figure out how you look at the situation. One, you could look at it as I have value. A team values my skill set and what I have to offer. And I should look at it as it's better It's better that someone wants me than someone doesn't want me. And then the second part is you can be frustrated. You can be confused as to why they don't want you, as you said before, not knowing what the, what the answer may be. Maybe AD just makes us a better team. You know, was I contributing the way I should? Uh, could I have done something better? You start to question yourself, perhaps. But I think in, in these young players' cases, I think it definitely affected their mentality and mindset because they're obviously comfortable in L.A. They've, they've been used to playing a certain way under certain management, you know, driving the same roads to practice every day to now be mentioned in a trade to where you're shipped off to New Orleans. It's different. Different, different scenario, different setting, different coaching staff, different play calls. So you have to kind of mentally adjust and prepare for it. And I'm sure that they all kind of mentally prepared as if something may happen and kind of got themselves ready for it. But uh, those are some questions we'll have to ask Kuz when he comes on the pod, just because from a mindset standpoint, you have to kind of approach approach everything the same. You have to work the same, yeah. mentally be locked in and engaged and understanding that you may not be here next week, but in the meantime, you have to take advantage of the now. Uh, my question for you would be looking at how the trade scenario situation happened uh for one do you think it was a good trade because i feel like the lakers were overextending themselves i feel like they were offering an awful lot not that 80s not worth it 80s a great player and he has a chance to change your franchise they were offering like six players three four draft picks do you think they overextended themselves to get ad i think the lakers actually dodged the bullet um because and I said this on, um, I was hosting ESPN Radio with Bobby Marks on Sunday, and he's a cap genius. He knows all these numbers, uh, and I don't. I can't pretend to be a, a cap guy, but I will say that, you know, if, if you're the Lakers and you want to be a player this summer, if you were to give up all of those pieces, let's say you give up Ingram and Kuzma and Ball, uh, let's say Hart's in there, picks, et cetera, what are you left with? I know, like you said, Anthony Davis is a generational type player. But what are you left with? Davis and Braun? I mean, those are two great players, but the roster is so bare, and you're mortgaging so much of your future uh, that I, I just didn't think it was worth it. And as the offer potentially got more and more, um, and you were giving up you know, more and more, I, I just thought that the Lakers were overextending themselves to a point of, of almost no return. So, um, you know, I think the Pelicans are in a position now where obviously they really – can't afford for Anthony Davis to get hurt because they're going to try to trade him this summer. Um, and now Boston can come in and, and try to shake things up. If, if you're Danny Ainge, you're probably really happy. Um, I'm sure you're thrilled, actually. But I think the Lakers in many ways dodged the ball, CJ, because even though those are two fantastic players, Davis and Braun, the roster would have been almost devoid of, of anybody. So to me, um, some things happen for a reason. This is a good example of you know a trade that, didn't happen helping the Lakers. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they were offering too much. I think that based on the way the West is constructed right now, you need more than two 
pit bulls. You need more than two star caliber players. You need sufficient role players. You need guys to be able to come in and contribute in certain ways. And they were essentially leveraging the entire roster and future draft picks, which would have left them, like you said before, kind of depleted from a roster standpoint. And then the flip side of it is looking at the situation now, you got a bunch of young players who are unsure of their future because something could potentially happen in the summertime. It's just the way this was kind of blown out of proportion from a media standpoint could affect them from a mental standpoint. But it seems as if they're they're playing better basketball. The young guys are hooping and Kuz had a good game to 23 in the first quarter uh, the other night on the road. So that kind of shows you that they're they're locked in. But I think the, the next question I have for you is looking at how the NBA is handling this situation, understanding that the Pelicans want to trade Anthony Davis. They've warned that they will find them up to $100,000 per game. He set out as a healthy scratch. The Cavs haven't played J.R. Smith all season. They, they, they sent him home. There's been some other circumstances and situations where franchises aren't playing players. But why do you think they're holding the New Orleans Pelicans to this standard and forcing them to to play AD when in reality is if he gets hurt, that kind of hurts their ability to trade him this summer? So this is an odd situation because, you know, it's almost always in a team's best interest to um, to play its best players because, you know, you want to sell tickets, you want to be competitive. Um, there are obviously examples when tanking, has helped teams. Um, we've seen that, but for the most part, you know, for New Orleans playing Anthony Davis, you you know, at face value in a vacuum, you would say, well, we want to play him because he's a great player and he's gonna he's the one draw we have. I don't think it's fair for the league to threaten the the Pelicans and to it's basically to find them a hundred thousand dollars a game uh, as a healthy scratch because the Pelicans are in a unique position where they have a franchise player, a cornerstone, that if they were to trade him, um, they need to extract maximum value back because how often do you get these types of players? And when Rich Paul and Anthony Davis come out and say, we want to be traded, um, it puts them in a in a pretty vulnerable position because now all of a sudden the league knows he doesn't want to be there and um, you don't have maximum leverage if you're the Pelicans. So, I didn't love this move by the NBA. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out because now they're denying it. Um, but to me, it's not the right move if you're the league. It's not the right look to find the Pelicans for for healthy for giving uh, Davis a healthy scratch. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a peculiar situation to be in a rare situation where you disagree with me. No, no, no. I, I agree with you in in a sense that the NBA doesn't know what to do. They have these rules against tanking. They have to make it look like, you know, teams aren't trying to lose on purpose. And then you have AD who doesn't want to be there. Pelicans know he doesn't want to be there. However, it's obvious that him playing makes them better. Him not playing, they're not as good, but it kind of protects their investment in a sense that they know for sure if he doesn't play, he can't get hurt. And that way they can gain more value in a trade in the summer. So it's a... Tough position for them to be in to have to make a decision. I think that they should let these teams govern themselves. It's obvious that the Pelicans are in a position to probably not make the playoffs. So in the, in this particular situation, it's in their best interest to not play Anthony Davis or to kind of limit his minutes as they have done. They've played him, you know, on and off throughout three quarters and benched him in the fourth on, on multiple occasions and have kind of showed that 
you know, in those in that game, they benched him, they won. But if they lose, is that considered trying to tank? Like, uh, it's kind of it's interesting how they view the situation. But I think that they have to let these teams do what, what they feel is best for their organizations because at the end of the day, everybody is trying to win at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, just think about how catastrophic it would be if Anthony Davis gets hurt. I mean, obviously he's had a, the finger issue, but if he has a, a significant injury, um, then all of a sudden if you're the Pelicans, you're, you're – you're really you're completely screwed. You you have no option. And you know, this is the one valuable trade chip you have, super valuable chip. And um, you know, he's under contract for an, for one more year. I think what gets lost a lot in this is um people just assume like, you know, he's gonna be fine and, and he he's not gonna get hurt and they're gonna get a they're gonna end up getting a, a great haul back. But if if he gets hurt, then they have nothing. And right now, you know, because they didn't make the trade. New Orleans can wait for Boston to now enter the fold because the rules rule is lifted. Uh, the Lakers can essentially bid against themselves again or bid against the Celtics. Um, and they have an opportunity, the Pelicans do, as a small market franchise to to really build for the future um, without Anthony Davis because they're getting out of the Anthony Davis business. So um, I, I just hope the league understands that, that it's a unique position to be in. And we, I don't, I'm not a fan of tanking, but there are instances where – um, you should be able to, I believe, you should be able to control whether or not a guy plays, and uh, this is one of those for me. Yeah, they didn't control the, the the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, these past years when they were there. You go figuring out figuring out ways to get the number one draft pick in consecutive years. They get Ben Simmons, they get Joel Bede, they get Markel Fultz, they get all these you know high profile talented players, and not not that they were holding out players per se. But some of those rosters that they had in place playing in the NBA, a lot of guys from the D League, a lot of guys from overseas, a lot of guys who, quite frankly, you know, put together on one team weren't able to really win a lot of NBA games. So they put themselves in a position to have success in the long run, and it benefited their organization and their team. But now look at their roster. They have a lot of pieces. Elton Brand's doing a great job of acquiring assets and putting them in a position to have success for the long term after a small sacrifice of a few years of trusting the process, as they like to say. You mentioned Fultz. Um, this feels like if he's going to succeed, this feels like Orlando, that is, the, the kind of the best place for him because, A, they need a point guard, um, and then, B, you know, there's, there's going to be considerably less p- pressure there than playing in Philadelphia or a team that has had significant playoff expectations. Do you think I'm on the right track there? Yeah, I definitely feel like their development and their staff can take him to the next level. The Sixers are in win-now mode. They have a, an organization and a roster who's constructed a juggernaut, looking at who they've been able to acquire, Tobias Harris. They acquired Jimmy Butler. They add J.J. Redick to the roster these these last couple years to where they have shooting. They have veterans. They have leadership. They have role players. They have a little bit of everything, and they don't really have time to kind of develop players and allow people to play through mistakes because they're trying to to get a home seed in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, Milwaukee Bucks have the best record in the NBA, but they're competing against the likes of the Toronto Raptors and some of those other top-tier teams, and they don't really have time to, you know, let someone – develop, let someone play through mistakes, you know, tinker the roster and rotation. They have to play the best players. And right now it's obvious that J.J. Redick needs to be in his starting lineup and Ben Simmons needs to have the ball in his hands. And that's kind of what they've done. You know, fast forward now, Mark Markel being in Orlando, 
Um, not not that they're, the Lando Magic are tanking, but they're not in a position to make the playoffs. They're not in a position to, to potentially win a championship right now. So they can kind of develop their younger their younger talent, you know, figure out, you know, what role is best for him, you know, how many minutes he should be playing, and just kind of give him that attention and time that he needs. Whereas in, in Philly, I feel like there's just a lot going on. They're in a position to win right now. They got a lot of media attention on on some high-level, high-caliber players to where Markel was kind of under the microscope. So now he can get back to the basics of training, working on himself, working on his game, away from the spotlight, and then come back and be his normal self. I completely agree with you. I do wonder, Philadelphia moves on from Fultz. A, is this a potential win-win for both parties? And B, what's the timeline now for Fultz to essentially rediscover his his jump shot because to me that was what made him such an intriguing prospect um you know that with the size the ability to pull up shout out to pull up podcast the ability to pull up and you know use that hesitation dribble like that that's if you go back and watch his highlights that set up a lot of it so how long does it take for someone obviously he's been injured but to rediscover that the, the confidence is it more of getting minutes in games is it getting cleared medically so he can get more shots up after practice like what's that process for him yeah I think it was a win-win for both teams I think that Markel Fultz gets to kind of start fresh new chapter like you said before figuring out exactly what's wrong with the shoulder with the arm with the with the nerve getting his reps uh in practice consistently getting reps uh, in game situations where he can get minutes and gain that confidence, you know, find that rhythm and be successful like he was at Washington. And I think for the Sixers, they get another quality bench player in Jonathan Simmons, who's played for the Spurs. He's played in big time moments. He's a competitor and he can also spread the floor uh, for the second unit. So I think that both teams win. I'm not sure how long it'll take for, for folks to kind of figure out, you know, how to be successful in the league. It's different for every player, but I think Orlando's going to give him all the all the uh, freedom in the world, all right. the time in the world to kind of develop and, and figure out what his ceiling is because his ceiling is unknown because if he can get back to how he was in college, he can be a very dominant NBA player. But it's just a big if on the jump shot, the confidence, the mental side of things, and, and how fast he can get back to his normal self. Yeah, think, think about Philly, though, for a second. I mean, they... They got Jimmy Butler earlier. We don't, it's almost like we forget about that, or we don't talk about it. But they added Jimmy Butler. This is since the, the beginning of the season, and they added uh, Tobias Harris, who, you know, we recently had on pull up. He was terrific. But and, and Boban, by the way, who who should help them a little bit. But Tobias Harris is like a legitimate go to scorer who can play on and off the ball. Who's a who's a pretty damn good defender. Um, who can post up. He's unselfish. He, he's just a, a really functional NBA player. And I think for the Clippers, that was a, a situation where they felt like, you know, we're not going to be able to give you the deal you want, at least not at 1201 um, Eastern when free agency opens. We're going to try. They, they have bigger fish to fry, you know, Anthony Davis, perhaps, or Kawhi Leonard um, but or, or Kevin Durant. But when it comes down to, you know, what Philadelphia is able to get, it just seems like they got a massive – a massive haul and an opportunity to really have four premium players now. <laughs> You're right. You're right about everything you just said. And the interesting dynamic here is if the Clippers can actually find a bigger bigger fish to fry. You know, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. These are all players I'm sure they will go after. But, you know, giving up Tobias, you gain some draft, draft picks. You gain some assets for the future. You gain cast space and flexibility. But now it just comes down to 
being able to seal the deal on one of those players. And then you look at Philly, they can roll the dice. They got Jimmy Butler. They got Tobias Harris. It's almost as if they're hedging their bet to where if it doesn't work out for one of them, they can keep the other one. You're exactly or potentially right. Keep, You're exactly right. Or potentially go over the cap and, and, and keep everyone if it if it works out because you don't have to pay Ben Simmons yet. Yeah, J.J. Redick will probably re-sign um, on a one- or two-year deal depending on the situation, how far they go in the playoffs. And Embiid's already locked under contract. So now it's just like you can keep your own players and go over the cap by signing them. It's about how much success you can have, how fast you can get it and attain it and try to hold on to it. You're exactly right about, it's almost like, uh, this is to steal another line from Bobby Marks, but he was saying that it's almost like the Sixers are hedging their bets. They wouldn't admit it, but you know who knows what's going to happen with um, Jimmy Butler. But Tobias Harris is a hell of an insurance policy, and he's only 26 years old. Uh as a whole, CJ, I really love the move for Philadelphia to get Tobias Harris. I mean, this is an extremely versatile offensive player who gives them a dimension that they just didn't have. And he's also, as Bobby Marks was telling me Sunday night on ESPN Radio, and I agree with him, he's an insurance policy for Jimmy Butler, even if Philly won't admit it. But, you know, realistically, this is the new death lineup for the Sixers because Harris can, can be a stretch four. He can be a big two. He's extremely versatile. He's 53% on corner threes, which is second only to Steph Curry. He can play, mate. You can post him up. You can run him off screens. I just love the move for the Sixers. And for the for the Clippers, it's also beneficial because realistically, Lawrence Frank, Mike Winger, Jerry West, the people running that organization, they weren't going to be able to go to Tobias, CJ, at 12.01 for free agency and say, you know what, here's the deal you want because – Guess what? Kevin Durant's on the table. Kawhi Leonard. Maybe they try to go out and get Anthony Davis. So this is the rare move, I think, that'll benefit both sides. Yeah, and I think LeBron said it best. A lot of these teams have a higher level of confidence because they don't have to go through him. And I think, although it was a very uh, cocky statement, I mean, it's it's true. The East has kind of gone through wherever LeBron was at in these last 10 years. You know, Eight straight trips to the finals is proof in itself that Depending on what team he was on, that meant that you were going to have to beat them to get to the uh, Western, to get to to get to the uh, NBA Finals, and potentially get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think that these teams realize that the Toronto Raptors signing Marc Gasol, I think he makes them better. Not Jonas Valanciunas was a great player, you know, back to the basket guy, could do some different things off the bounce, you know, elbow area pinch post. But Marc Gasol is could be a Hall of Famer. All-star caliber player. He has been defensive player of the year, can pass, you know, has a, a great feel for the game and kind of gives them a different dynamic that Jonas Valanciunas didn't offer. And I think that that trade also allows a guy like, you know, DeLon Wright to to play more minutes in Memphis with Memphis trying to figure out what they're going to do with Mike Conley. I think it's a situation where both teams gain flexibility and they, they're put in a situation where they can kind of figure out their future. The interesting thing for me with Toronto um, – and then we can move on from trade deadline is, you know, I, I think there it'll be kind of like Cousins and Golden State where you have a, a team that, that's proven to be a winner and there's going to be games where he might not contribute as much, uh, Marcus Gasol, but there are going to be other games, big games, where he's going to have an opportunity to really affect this team and this franchise, where he's going to get his time. And I think clearly uh, now Toronto has to figure out what, what they're going to do with Ibaka and Siakam in the lineup, I think this probably makes Serge, uh, cuts into some of his minutes, but I think it makes Toronto better. And clearly they're looking to go to the finals for the first time in franchise history. 
And then with Milwaukee, they get Miritich. You know, this is the best offense in the NBA statistically. Now you add a guy in Miritich who has not only had a playoff experience, but has had tremendous playoff success. And CJ, you saw him last year in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, a big guy that can spread the floor. That's tough. Um, like, I, I just thought Milwaukee, you know, really helped themselves, even though that wasn't like the sexiest trade and they gave up Thon Maker. But Miritich is a guy that can immediately impact them right away. And, and then, you know, Ilya Silva hasn't shot it all that well this year. And he's going to give them uh, just big time minutes, I think, in the playoffs. Yeah, they definitely got better and, and they did what you're supposed to do. They put the right role players around Giannis. Giannis. Weaknesses are now strengths. His ability to to facilitate and his ability or lack thereof of shooting has now improved because he has shooters all around him. He has a stretch center in Lopez. He's got stretch four men who can shoot threes in Miracic. He's got guards who can shoot. They added uh, George Hill. They they have Chris Milton already who can shoot. So they have all these pieces in place to where throughout the entire season they've been They've been kind of figuring out how they can improve this roster. And it started with the four-out, five-out mentality to where they allowed Giannis to kind of play with the ball and have space. Now they got the right amount of shooters around him. So I think that the sky's the limit for them this season and looking at the East and, and how open it is with Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston, Sixers, and then kind of like a drop-off to the other teams. I think they're figuring out ways to be able to play with the elites, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the Western Conference as well. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, that whole, like, Coach Bud five-out offense is no joke. And, and Giannis as someone that, like you said, is not a knockdown shooter, obviously, but his game, um, putting pressure on the teeth of a defense by just consistently attacking and finding shooters. You add Miritich, and then that's just, it's just a, uh, an even better fit. So I, I really like what Milwaukee did. I think the East as a whole... Uh, got a lot better, um, and uh, you know, just a very exciting time to be an NBA fan. I know it's it's hard to be mentioned in, in trade deadline, and uh, you know, you got through it yet again. So I guess congratulations to you. I'm I'm happy for you that you don't have to, you know, answer any more questions for now about that. I'm sure that's a relief. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Six years in, I've made it through uh, the trade deadline again. Looking forward to continuing to build and and make this playoff push in Portland. Support for Pull Up with C.G. McCollum comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash pull up to get 10% off. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Okay, back to the show. Looking at the NBA right now, 
there's a lot of discussions about the way the game's being played, you know, who's playing at the highest levels. All-star breaks right around the corner. Thank goodness, you know, after tomorrow's game against the Warriors, we'll have 25 games left in the season. It's an unusual time period because all-star break, historically, you think about it being at the midway point, but now it's not. You know, we've played about 75% of our games for this season, a little under 75%. And it's basically a sprint to the finish line once you get through uh, March and, and into April before the playoffs. So looking at the MVP race, we played against Paul George the other night. We've played against James Harden. James Harden, by the way, has scored 30-plus points in 30 straight games. He's broken uh, Will Chamberlain's record, which was a 50, I don't know, how, how many years ago is that? 50, 40 years ago? Yeah. However long ago Will Chamberlain broke that record, James has since broke it. Russell Russell Westbrook has also broken the triple-double record for most consecutive triple-doubles at 10. He did that against us last night for his 10th consecutive triple-double. And you got Giannis, who's playing outside of his mind as well. He's averaging about 26 points a game, 11, 12 rebounds, uh, 5, 6 assists. It's essentially a three-man race. LeBron's been hurt, so I, I kind of take him out of the race right now. Who's your MVP this season? So I, I would go Paul George right now. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I would go. I would go Giannis. I just. I was hoping you'd be like, no, but I, he's so close that you. I can't really say that, right? Yeah, I mean, Giannis is twenty-seven points, best record in the league. Best record in the league. I mean, you can't. You honestly can't go wrong with any. <laughs> I know. Of these players. I know. I just wanted you to be like, no, no, you can't say that. No, PG's been unbelievable. No, I mean, I mean, he's what he's doing is impressive. What he's been able to do with Milwaukee is, it's very impressive, and I think that. He's going to steal a lot of votes from Paul George and James Harden. So it's going to come down to the swing vote, as, as we like to say. So he could be the sleeper to win the, to win the MVP, depending on uh, what, what the uh, voters are most biased about. Yeah, so my thing with Giannis, the reason I give him the edge, uh, obviously they've had great success, is I, you know, there's been so much expectation uh, put on him. And he, he, to me, has found a way to uh, embrace it do so in a small market um, and be the the face of a franchise that is trying to, you know, win a playoff series, CJ, for the first time since 2001. Jeez. And, you know, they've they've taken a significant step forward, and I, I think Coach Bud has been a huge part of that. But Giannis's ability, as we said earlier, to attack and make plays and consistently um, just – you know, exceed expectations. I, I think he deserves the MVP. I think Paul George has been great. Uh, you know, his his usage is up. His his efficiency is up. He's having the best season of his career uh, in pretty much every statistical category. But uh, I would go Giannis as of right now. So James Harden is averaging 36.5 points, 7.8 assists, 6.7 rebounds, PER of 31. 30 consecutive games with 30-plus points. He's at, he was average 40 in a month for the first time in a long time. I don't think someone's done that since Will Chamberlain. And you pick two players to win MVP over him. Is it because his team's fifth in the West? Is it because of the way he plays in a sense that, you know, the offense is predicated mainly around him dominating the ball? Like, what, what factored into you not picking James Harden for MVP this season? When you put it like that, it's it's hard not to say, okay, well, this guy deserves it. Um, he, he, <laughs> you know, he, he's been unbelievable. and. You know, I, he might have to deal with some voter fatigue. Um, for me, I think it's probably a combination of the fact that they haven't had the same level of success. Although, to be fair, he hasn't had Chris Paul and they've had, you know, some G League guys playing. Um, 
but I think Milwaukee's ability to elevate themselves as the number one team in the in the in the league record wise and the way that Giannis has done it and carried himself uh, just seems it's just it's hard for me to ignore that. If 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 James Harden was the MVP, I'd have no problem with it. Um, and you 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 mentioned Paul George, um, his his ability this year to assert himself as I think the best player on that team is the first time to me that he's done that in Oklahoma City. Really, the last uh, two or year and a half now, where he's become the go-to guy, and I think Westbrook deserves some credit for allowing that to happen. Um, but I think Paul George is probably my my number two, and I would probably go hard in the three. And it sounds like you think I'm nuts. No, I think you 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 pose some great points in the argument. Voter fatigue is something that could come into play because this would be his second consecutive MVP, back-to-back MVPs. I think they look at record, impact of a team, and then just comes down to is it most valuable player in the NBA or most valuable player to their team? Because if you take off, if you take Giannis off the Milwaukee Bucks, how good are they? If you take Paul George off the Oklahoma City Thunder, how good are they? If you take James Harden off the Houston Rockets, how good are they? Those are questions you have to ask yourself as you evaluate a team and look at the load these guys have all had to carry you know, on their respective teams. Look at what they're doing on both sides of the ball. Look at how they make their teammates better. Look at how they're utilized, the offense they run, the team record. There's a lot of things that come into play, and I think all three of these players are worthy of winning MVP. I think it's going to come down to you know, records at the end of the season and, and how guys fare down the stretch, you know, post all-star break with 25 games left, it's still a lot of time to kind of determine standings, home court, and, you know, the the buzz to hype around, you know, certain things guys are doing will also play a factor. But I think if the season ended right now, it would, it would probably be James or Giannis. I think Paul George has a chance to kind of steal some thunder, so to speak, pun on thunder, just depending on how the season finishes up for them. But I think this is the year James Harden wins back-to-back MVPs. If he can continue to play at this level, 36 and a half points a game is one of the highest point per game averages in the history of the NBA. I think it's top six all time, top seven all time. I think it's going to be hard and someone's going to be slighted. And that's the way life goes, I guess. In many ways, to me, this conversation symbolizes just how healthy the league is um, from a talent perspective. I, I don't remember a time where there's been this influx of just great, individual play and you have it from the east and the west you have it from you know guys like Joel Embiid and, and Jokic you, we talk about pr- wings like Harden and George a guy like Giannis who is doing things that we've never seen I think the league is in great shape and the bigger picture here aside from the MVP is just just how healthy we are um, and and that's exciting for me I would I would be remiss CJ if I didn't say uh, that I think Dame should at least garner some consideration. I'm not saying he's the MVP because I don't think he's the MVP, but can we can we at least put him in that conversation? Yeah, I think he's been in the conversation uh, this season uh, as well as last season. You know, based on how we played, and obviously being in a in a market like ours, there's not a lot of attention directed towards our team. You know, a lot of times we're picked to not make the playoffs. We're picked to you know win 40 games or 39 games, and then we win 48, 49 games and lose in the playoffs. And the narrative kind of changes on our team every year about expectations. You know, there's 
you know, they, they don't win in the playoffs. They don't do this. They don't do that. They can't play together. There's all these different narratives being wrote about us. But it's funny because the expectations at the beginning of the season are never high. We've kind of overachieved based on the media's predictions of the success we'll have as a team. So I think it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, you know, playing out here, being 9, 10, 11 games over 500, you know, a couple losses in a row that we probably shouldn't have had. But overall, looking at the season's body of work, we're on good pace, you know, to potentially get a home court advantage in the playoffs again and accomplish a lot of things. And it's and it's a lot of it's because of Dame's effort, you know, Dame's consistency, his ability to lead a team and what we've been able to accomplish, you know, despite, you know, some of the some of the factors and, and slights that we receive as a team and organization, yeah. you know, being out here in the in the Northwest. I think there's a lack of appreciation for for people who don't watch, you know, late games. We play a lot of late games and we're not on TV. You also you travel know. more than anybody. Right. You travel we're, more than anybody. We travel on we travel a lot more than everybody and we're not always on TV at the prime time times like, you know, ABC at 3 p.m. on a Sunday. We don't get those type of games. Just between us. Do you ever get frustrated with that? Oh, no, man. It's a part of the business, man. I just go out there and do my job to the best of my abilities, man. I don't I don't worry about other people's opinions. Um, a man or a woman's opinion has never really affected my lifestyle, how I approach things, and I don't, I don't need to be signed off. Like I don't, I don't thrive for that type of attention. I know who I am. I know what I have to offer to this game, and I know what my goals are. You know, from an individual standpoint. CJ, why do you have to be such a media professional? No, I mean that's just that's just how I feel. Like I, I don't, I don't get caught up in what people think about me. Yeah, you know, I have a. I have a strong sense of self, man. So I don't like what people think about me and our team doesn't doesn't bother me because I know who I am, I know who we are and right. That's just kind of how I've always lived my life. I don't I don't need that that certification or that sign off from from others. Well, do you think then that it could affect someone like Giannis? Um because one of the arguments I didn't make by the way is they have jumped to number 1 in defensive efficiency and I think anybody within that organization will say Giannis is the main reason why. Um, but that's not like a sexy stat, and that's another small market team. Does that affect MVP voting at all, or are we at the point now where it doesn't really matter? Yeah, I don't think it really matters at this point. Everybody knows who Giannis is, you know, regardless of where he's at, regardless of where they play at. People know who Giannis is. His jersey sells are high. He has a big following. Um, he, he led the voting for All Star for the Eastern Conference, so that just kind of yeah. kind of shows you how big his following is and how much people pay attention to the Milwaukee Bucks. They play on TV a lot more than they have in past years. And uh, nowadays with social media, his dunks, whenever he dunks on somebody or does something crazy, it's all over TV and, and the internet. As for Michael Jordan, see, like I, this is why we love MJ. I mean, this is why he's the GOAT for me. You know, he's basically telling Russell and, and Harden, you know what, um, what you're doing is great, but I won six titles in six tries. And this is really um, pretty similar to what he did at his Hall of Fame induction speech, right? With Brian Russell when he said, you know what, he he couldn't check me. Well, this is – he didn't need to say this, MJ, but he knows the All-Star Games in Charlotte. He's an owner of the Hornets, and he's basically just saying, you know, everybody's coming to my town right now with, uh, with the All-Star Game coming up. And uh, just so you know, I'm still the best. Yeah, I mean, he could have answered the question, but I think as some fans pointed out, He's never done either of those things. He's never scored 30-plus in 30 consecutive games. He's never had 10 straight triple-doubles. So he couldn't really relate to what it's like to do that, but he could relate to winning six championships. So I think it was more of a humble brag, like, look, those individual accolades and things they're accomplishing are great, 
But I think winning six championships is harder. I, w- I would imagine that it's harder because I've done it. I've gone through it. I know what it takes to do those types of things. And it took a lot. And I think that kind of reminds people that, look, I'm one of the best to ever play this game, if not the best. And this is a subtle reminder of why. I just I just really liked it when I when I saw that and I heard it. I thought it was just classic Michael Jordan, always having to compete, can't lose. And uh, it was kind of out of no like he didn't have to say that, you know. Like you said, it was kind of like a humble brag. It was for sure a humble brag. It was, and that leads me to my next question: Is what are what is the CJ McCollum uh, All Star Weekend shaping up to uh, to be? Man, I'm looking forward to this. I think the rest of the NBA is excited about a break. As I said before, it's not the halfway point of the season. Uh, we've been going since September, essentially, you know, working out constantly, going to the practice facility daily. Uh, off the court stuff that we have going on, team appearances, um, a lot of stuff that, that goes into being an NBA player, playing through injuries, you know, trying to recover fast, treatment. So to be able to kind of get a break away from basketball and relax your mind, relax your body, it's, it's crucial, man. I'm looking forward to doing some... Uh, some venue venue shopping, looking around at venues, and then uh, we're going to be heading to a nice little island to get some relaxation in before we get back to work um, in Brooklyn. Uh, we play the Brooklyn Nets on Thursday, so get to see my guy Ed Davis, Alan Crabb, Shabazz Napier, some of my homies out there, and try to get a win in Brooklyn. I, I would say you could see me, but I'll be in Milwaukee uh, doing a story, uh, so I, I'm sorry. I know you were looking forward to that. Man, I'll have to catch you in the summertime, man. That's very unfortunate. But as we always say, you know, we all we all want the life and, and to live a certain type of lifestyle. It takes work to do it. So got to put that work in. Okay, we have more pull-up in a second. But first, I want to talk about Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free, while other brokerage charge up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular, With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Pull Up with CJ McCollum a free stock with Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. That's right, free stock. Sign up at pullup.robinhood.com. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. 
Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right, let's get back to pull up. CJ, one of my favorite parts about the NBA is the almost nightly barrage of uh, referee questions. Uh, this week's version of it is the Bradley Beal travel or no travel. Um, perhaps the funniest part about all of it is the NBA referees Twitter released a statement saying the offensive player gathers with his right foot on the ground. He then takes two legal steps before losing control of the ball. After regaining possession, a player is allowed to regain his pivot foot and pass or shoot prior to that foot returning to the ground. This is legal. I find this comical. I've watched it probably a hundred times. I, I can't imagine how this is not a travel. It's definitely a travel. I don't know what the guidelines and the rules and regulations say, but he traveled. He took more steps than he's supposed to. He essentially jumped, landed, took more steps, and then passed the ball. Right. Um, it's it's quite obvious that they're they're taking the meanings of the of the book too too liberal and too literal. And I think that. As an NBA player, we know what travels are. We travel very often. We try to get away with travels often. And we try to teeter the lines of what is right and wrong. In this case, although Bradley didn't purposely travel, he traveled. I mean, how about Blake Griffin tweeting, nice try at Real Deal Beal 23. We know you hacked the ref account and tweeted this. To me, that was great because Blake had the best view of every of, of anybody because he was trying to block Bradley Beal's shot or pass or whatever whatever he was trying to do, and then Bradley Beal, for what it's worth, in good spirit, and maybe because he's an all-star, he's happy, he put a smiley face up. So, you know, everybody's friends in the NBA, right? Everybody isn't friends, but in this particular case, <laughs> you have to kind of laugh <laughs> I at this because... <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> because I knew you were going to say that. Uh, okay, let's go to social media questions. CJ, I got one for you from Run For Fun. He says, or she says, what is the hardest food item or dish to give up during the season? Uh, I think just not eating dairy has been very hard for me. Um, cheese fries, cheese eggs, cheese burgers, pesto sauce, lasagna, macaroni and cheese, all of those things I really love that include cheese. It's been hard for me, but I've been holding pretty strong. I've only had, I don't know, four or five semi-cheese items in the last eight months. So I've been doing a pretty good job, and now I haven't had it so long that my stomach will be punching, punching out the, <laughs> punching my insides if I if I try to eat it at this point. So that's probably the hardest thing. Wow, I don't blame you. I'm I have given up dairy as well. Uh, run for fun, it's not fun for me. Um, <laughs> Noah Kozlov, good friend of mine, need a CJ wedding planning update. You talked about venues a few minutes ago, CJ. Um, how is the wedding planning going and, uh, are you making good progress? Um, I would say that I'm not really involved in that process. I'm more of a yes or no type of guy. So if I see something I like, I say yes. If I see something I don't like, I say no. And that's kind of how the process has gone. So uh, until we actually like figure out venues and all that stuff, we're kind of stuck in the mud, but on the slow and steady route, man, in, in no, in no hurry, man, want to make sure everything's just the way we want it to be. Well, I, I here's what I'll tell you about that. As a very experienced um, wedding planner, um, just say yes and make sure that um, you have a say in the food and the music. 
Those are the two things that matter the most. Everything else, the flowers, the the you know the floral arrangement, basically anything that she needs, uh, you can let her do. But but this these are the two things that you need to make sure you have a firm understanding of. Yeah, I got you. That's what I've kind of heard. You know, the consensus from most men is food and music, things that we care about, eating and listening to music, which is very important. Okay. Um, Harrison, what goals do you have left to accomplish? This is kind of a uh, open-ended question. Yeah, very open-ended. Um, I think in life, just to leave a legacy, that's the biggest thing. You know, leave a lasting legacy so that, you know, when I have kids and when people hear my last name and and or, or talk about my name and things that I've done, it, it extends far beyond the basketball court. Obviously, I'll be known as a guy who played in the NBA and had a successful career, but want to be known as, as someone who did a lot for the community, gave back to the community, inspired people, empowered people, and, and helped uh, make the world a better place. I think that's just uh, the overall goal. Obviously, everybody wants to win championships and be all-stars and, and do all those types of things. And uh, one day I hope to accomplish those goals. But from a standpoint of impacting the world and, and making it a better place and and taking advantage of this platform while giving the glory to God, I think that's just you know, how I've approached life. I like that. Uh, last question is, um, actually, we have two more. Uh, Ankle Breaker, what have you two learned from this podcast journey? Uh, Ankle Breaker, appreciate the question. I have learned a lot. Um, first of all, when you get a, a firsthand look at the schedule of an NBA player, uh, as CJ's been so kind to offer us, you realize that the amount of work it goes that goes into the process is um, is just astronomical, and it's it's so much takes it takes so much to get ready for a game. The treatment, um, the way you take care of your body, the sleep, the nutrition. Uh, we see as fans, you know, the pro- the byproduct of all that work, and it seems so fun and easy. But I can tell you that it's uh, it's not always the case. It's a, it's it really is a grind. And secondly, what I've learned as well is that CJ at some point in the not-so-near future is going to be taking my job because uh, he is a journalism major and he's frankly better at this than I am. CJ, what have you learned? <laughs> You're far too kind. You're far too kind. Um, I've just learned that news travels fast, which is something that we already knew, but you just have to be careful with how you say things, how you construe things, because people can run away with a headline, you know, and a headline doesn't always include meat and potatoes of a discussion doesn't include the the side dishes of a discussion and can be misleading at times so just being cautious with how you word things and um not being afraid of backlash because someone's not going to agree with you regardless of what you say uh as, as i've always said they hated on jesus and they hated on jordan and those are you know not to compare the two together but looking at some of the best players in the world are criticized and people will say that they're not good or they're not this or they're not that. Like, people hate on Tom Brady. You know what I'm saying? So there comes a point in time to where you have to just do your job to the best of your ability and live with the results. And I've, I've gotten to the point where that's that's kind of how I approach everything, not just basketball, but podcasting and writing as well. Just a quick follow would be that it seems like what you were saying earlier, how you, you don't need, you know, the approval stamp from the, the public. is this, That's kind of what you're saying, right? Where right. You, you, you know what you do, right? Is, is that fair? Right. Yeah, that's very fair. Last question. Smooth T. Hey, guys, love the pod. CJ, you've been scoring in the upper 20s pretty consistency late, consistently lately as a young baller myself. I'd like to know your mindset going into the game following a big performance. 
Are you ever trying to one-up yourself from the night before, or is it totally out of your mind? I just go out there and hoop. I just try to be aggressive, take advantage of you know certain shots, certain opportunities to attack, and whatever the defense gives, you try to take. And if you feel like something is working better than the other, you stick to that, and that's kind of how I've approached it. But I don't try to one-up or try to do certain things. I just try to be my best self and hope that's enough. Well, I would follow by saying smooth tea in my men's league. Uh, I do try to one-up myself. And uh, CJ? You know, you're welcome to attend anytime you want. Um, it's quite a show. There are um, some 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 wonderful players and uh, great great fans, and it'd be great to have an NBA player in the gym sometimes. So, if you ever have time, you just want to see some great basketball, I'm I'm available. Awesome! I look forward to it, my man. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> you said awesome. <laughs> Cue the wine music, please. Man, it's that time of the segment again, man. I was just scrolling through my Twitter and realized that it's time for the Wine Corner segment slash edition. I actually haven't drank any wine this week as of, what's today? As of Tuesday the 12th, I haven't drank wine since, I don't know, last weekend or the weekend before that. I went wine tasting with my lady. And we went to a few different wineries and got to check out some some different blends. Um, we went to Soder. We went to Domaine Drolin. Drolin. Yeah. Um, we went to a couple other wineries and were turned and were turned down because we were too late. Um, they were closing, but overall we had a we wait. Had hold a- on, you were turned down? Come on. <laughs> yeah, we got there too late. Well, one one place, uh, Alexander, however you say it. Um, we were just kind of like in the area. We wanted to stop by a few places we had never been to. And the uh, the winery was actually closed for an event. So we weren't able to, to go. They invited us back out for like a free a free tasting. We went to another place as well, but they were full. And they offered us a free tasting for another time. And um, in terms of bottles, man, I, uh, I ordered some bottles from a few different wineries and, and just wanted to kind of mix up my rotation of what I have in the cellar. So I'm going to check my emails and share what I most recently ordered. But I can tell you that Soder has some great wine. I had a 2015 Pinot that was very velvety, so to speak. And, and those of you that drink wine will understand what I mean by velvety. It had a smooth taste and went down very smoothly and was paired well with uh, some of the courses that we had. Uh, we had a vegetable course. We had a appetizer course that was more like a kind of like a tuna tartare type of dish and then we had a pasta dish uh, for the finish line and they also had a sparkling a sparkling rosé that was very very good and it, it tasted kind of like pop they call it soda pop because it's soda which was very unique and interesting but I enjoyed it a lot I will have to find the wine on online and, and, and share it with you guys next week because I don't actually see it here well, what you got for me? Yeah, I, I had a good one. I went to the Russian River Valley, and uh, I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation. It's a very prominent winemaker, uh, Williams Salim. You know him? Mm-mm. I don't. This, this was unreal. Uh, I probably overpaid for it, but uh, it was unbelievable. It was a 2016 Pinot, and um, I got to tell you. It, it seems like every week I have a better Pinot, but but this one was borderline the best I've had. And um, 
he's a very prominent winemaker and they you know they kind of like sold me out you know you go into the store and you ask a couple questions and suddenly i was like buying this wine that i did not realize was you know like 90 95 bucks but um, <laughs> it was really really good so i'm happy i paid for it and uh when i walked out of there i was like oh they just totally totally like sold me on this and i i got totally used but uh, i think it actually turned out well so i will send you this label and uh, we'll go from there no, I appreciate it. And I just found my email. I actually ordered the 2007 Soder Vineyards Proprietary Red, which is a blend of some of their best uh, grapes uh, out there. And it was very, very good. I ordered the Mineral Springs White Label Pinot Noir, which is what I told you guys about. That tasted very velvety. It was 2015. And I also ordered the Mineral Springs Blanc de Blancs 2012, which was a nice, nice white. What was wine. the best one, though? The best one out of all of them? I would say the probably the 07 uh, Proprietary Red, that, and the uh, White Label Pinot. But, I mean, if you like a white wine, they, their uh, Blanc de Blancs was very good. Well, listen, have a great break. Enjoy it, and uh, rest up, my man. I appreciate it, man. You enjoy your time in Milwaukee, man. You make sure you get you some nice... Uh, Whatever Milwaukee has to offer out there. Yeah, probably beer. They're not growing any grapes in Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, just some nice Americanized food. But I'll be in Charlotte as well, and um, you know, I'll make sure to, to hold it down while, while you're off on the beach somewhere. Man, I appreciate it. And you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, radio.com backslash pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up. up.